You obviously know Kung Fu. Hey, how you doing? This is Mark Wiley, writer and producer of the award-winning Made in Chinatown, award-winning author and martial arts grandmaster here on the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Joining me tonight, martial artist, instructor, healer as far as I know, uh, author and now writer and director of the award-winning Kung Fu Mafia comedy Made in Chinatown, Dr. Mark Wiley. Dr. Wiley, thank you so much for joining the Kung Fu Driving Podcast tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. It's it's good to have you back on the show. Uh, we, we hooked up a while back uh, on set while you were filming uh, Made in Chinatown, and that was a, a great uh, thing to be a part of. But uh, before we get into all of that stuff, how have you been holding up in the middle of all of this COVID-19 craziness? Uh, we've been doing well here. We're just outside Philadelphia, and our governor, Tom Wolf, has done a great job of uh, keeping us all updated, keeping the businesses updated. And my wife, because she's got uh, some health issues uh, with which compromise her immune system, we've been very careful in the house. So no guests come in. <laughs> Everyone's wearing a mask when they're out. We don't go out among a lot of people. Uh, we wash everything, groceries before they come in. We have them delivered, you know, let the mail sit for two days. We just don't want to take any chance of uh, getting her sicker. And uh, we want to keep our kids good. And and everything so we're doing okay yeah absolutely definitely stay safe um but uh, you've taken advantage of uh, of yeah. the zoom platform <laughs> to uh to get the word out there and uh, and do all kinds of stuff for the for the film how's that been going it's been going good we've uh you know we went through several edits with the film uh we finished the shooting uh, this time two years ago 2018 so it's been a two-year process in post-production they always say the long road to put in post well, you just don't know how long when you've got three hours of footage or three and a half hours of footage, you got to get down to an hour and a half. And it's like, what's the important pieces to go in? What can come out? And even of the pieces that stay, you got to keep trimming here. So the scene's not too long, but put something back because you missed, you know, you missed a joke for the payoff later or the setup, you know, um, and so forth and changing the music and getting the new rights for new music and all these things are very complicated. We went through, we worked with several, a uh, handful of editors, different editors doing their magic on it or lack thereof at different times. And now, and when we got a lot of just ho-hum response, you know, and it's just been in the past um, year to six months that we've had um, two sets of good editors. First, Marzi, Marty Krizzywonos and then Robert Jefferson uh, come in and, and really Marty, with the help of Tony Darrow, he's been a huge asset and, and, you know, he's also a producer on the film. And Tony and I sat down with the full footage and watched it and said, man, we got to get some of this stuff back in there. And Marty helped us get it back in. And Robert Jefferson came in at the end to fix sound and color and fight scenes. And he and I worked very closely on cutting scenes and extending and how dissolving. And now all of a sudden we're winning awards and <laughs> people are loving it and uh, we're getting our notice now finally it takes a really long time yeah 
Well, it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a great movie to watch. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a feel-good family movie, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But we're going to get into that. But before we do all of that stuff, I want to find out about your extensive martial arts background. Sure. Uh, you've, you've been in it for a while. How did it all get started for you? Uh, so it's um, 42 years now. Wow. Yeah. So um, 51. And um, I got picked on in the Cub Scouts. In the fifth grade, I like this girl. This other guy liked this girl. And we were working, walking home from school to go. He's bigger and stronger than me. And he just, you know, pushed me and threw me to the ground and had his knee on my jacket and was messing me up. And my mom came out and went haywire on him. You know, that's my baby boy. And you're like, don't say that. And uh, uh, I had a friend who was doing studying Taekwondo uh, in my class. And he said, you got to come see my teacher, the master Kwok. So I started uh, Taekwondo then 1979. And that's where that started. And then uh, in the eighties, um, probably 85, 86, 85, maybe I started Wing Chun uh, in Philadelphia and um, I got into the big seminar circuit for the JKD stuff and the, you know, Inasano and all his whole group of people, you know, who were teaching people around that group. And um, uh, and then, you know, I was infatuated with this martial arts school in Chicago called the Degerberg Academy, which back then was, it was huge. It was like 3,200 square, I don't know, it was huge. Two floors had boxing rings in it, wall lines of Wing Chun dummies. And they had <laughs> like 50 arts they taught there. I'm like, how is this possible? And he was one of the first people to really host seminars with, Benny the Jet and Danny Nassano and Stephen Hayes, like all different groups of people, and Fred Dagerberg. And um, in 1987, I met him at a JKD Collie camp in North Carolina, and we, we became friends. And I looked to him as a father figure, and I moved out to Chicago right after high school and started working, working at his academy, learning the ropes, and, and then became lifelong friends with a guy named Ron Balicki, who was Diana Nassano's husband and Dan Nassano's son-in-law. But we, we came out of that space together, you know. Um, he was a resident of Chicago and I had moved in. But yeah, a lot of different arts. And then there was another guy named Mike Young who wrote a column. He's from Hawaii, but he lived in L.A. Um, he wrote a column for Karate Kung Fu Illustrated back in the 80s called Martial Arts Home Training. And he was featured on the cover and he makes all this homemade training equipment. And he does, you know, Savat and Hapkido and boxing. Always a gold medal in the Police Olympics for karate and boxing. Uh, and as Kung Fu and Wing Chun and like, and there's all this training gear, like you'd see in the Shaolin movies, you know, all those yeah. other flicks. So I went out to go train with him back then and had him train me for a Savat fight, a uh, big Savat competition in, the, in North America. We had out at a nightclub in Los Angeles called the Strand uh, or Redondo Beach. I think it was in 1980. I think that one was 89. Um, but anyway, I'm only doing kind of three arts now. So <laughs> oh, only three <laughs> Filipino martial arts is what I'm mostly known for you know, mm. five books on it and um, been doing it for a very long time. Um, I had seven primary teachers in the Filipino arts and I made more than 20 trips to the Philippines for training and research. And the others a, a Chinese art called Go Chokun, which means five ancestor fists from Fujian. It's like um, a precursor to Okinawan karate although not maybe direct, but um, a lot of that same kind of training and short bridge, short arm movement. 
And then Lo Mong was here from Made in Chinatown and came to my house in Mike Woon and uh, started trading me in Southern Mantis. Nice. <laughs> And, you know, you, you get the backward compliment that you don't know if it's an insult or a compliment. He said, your arms are strong for being so short. <laughs> and I, I just look, I, I stood next to him. Our arms are like the same length, you know. <laughs> and he said, no. and I was like, okay. And then we had dinner with uh, him and, and Chu Chi Ling, mm. the buddy of mine. He's also in the movie. Uh, and we were eating out with some of our producers, uh, Shin Khan, Jeannie Liu and her her, uh, her daughter, Elizabeth Yao, um, who happens to be Moyat's uh, daughter-in-law. He's married to Moyat, the Wing Chun Sifu Moyat's son. Um, um, anyway, and <laughs> Lo Mong says to them, you know, Mark's Kung Fu is pretty good for a fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? Sam Mohung's so much bigger than me and better. You know? <laughs> and then Chu Chi Ling goes to the table next to us and shows him the phone and like pictures of him in movie clips from YouTube and sits down at their table and starts eating. And they're like, what's going on? <laughs> and then he got up and went to another table where there was just two guys. And he starts telling them I'm Kung Fu Hustle and I'm this and I'm that. And he's just eating it. And like, we're saying like, oh, excuse grandpa, you know, and, and they're like, no, no, it's okay. Let him eat. And he's like ordering all the food at that table and he's not eating with us. It was the funniest thing ever. Yeah. He's such a character. He's so great. Oh, he's funny. He just lights up the room because awesome. it's hard to keep him. You know, he came in at the last minute. We, for that role, we wanted to have Southern fist versus Northern kicks. Right. Mm -hmm. So we, we had in Huang Jung Lee coming in. Uh, from Korea, who did a whole bunch of you know kung fu movies back in the seventies yeah. and eighties, uh, rubber legs they called them. You know, we wanted to have his kicks against Lomong's hands in that scene. And that the night before the shoot, the day before the shoot, he got he got s stopped at uh, immigration for for something and had to go back. Oh, That's when man. our president was like clamping down on the yeah. immigration thing. So. He, for some reason, he couldn't come in. Um, so we're like panicking, like, what do I do? What do I do? So I'm like, I'll call Chu Sifu. So I called up Chu Chi Ling. We got Bobby Samuels. You know, Bobby helped. Who knows him, of course. And um, our buddy uh, Rick helped. And, um, and then I got him directly on the phone. And he's like, I'm like, well, we're shooting the scene tomorrow. Can you come tonight? <laughs> so I got him the red eye flight. He came in, bloodshot eyes, slept on the couch, from like seven till ten thirty eight, and then started practicing for the wow the scene. Went totally haywire in the scene, and we had to keep reining him in because he's just you know no sleep, you know, trying to have a good time. Uh, but we got it, and he was great. Yeah, but they're Hong Kong trained, right? So they, oh, yeah. they're they're used to they just make up and flow. And go <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. I want to touch on the uh, the Filipino martial arts though, because uh, yeah. I recently started learning it. Uh, you, like you said, you've um, you focused uh, quite a bit on it uh, with the books and the training. Mm -hmm. What was the draw to FMA for you in the first place? I read Dan and Asano's book, Filipino martial arts, and he had these stories in the back of some teachers. You know, in the back of that book, after the technical stuff, is like here's Angel Cabalas of this style and Leo Hiron of this style and you know, Max Armiento of this style. And they have just little bios and stories. And there's this little guy sitting on the edge of a table smoking. 
and with these big knots in his wrist and names was Angel Cabalas and, uh, and a story about him going outside and working in Alaska on the ship, shipping piers or canneries or something and take, cutting, cutting down a stick off a branch of a tree, carving it down and going in and whooping these guys' asses. And I thought, I want to learn from this guy. But he wasn't in Philadelphia. He was in Stockton, California, but Remy Presas was in Philadelphia and he was doing summer camps. He, and all, he's always been around here, well, was around here. So the Kempo Karate School I was studying in hosted him for some seminars. So that was like my first official with an actual teacher. Before that, my friend, uh, training partner at that time, and I would just watch all these VHS videos and practice on our own, you know, going through the moves. Um, and then I got to go train with Remy, and then I was going to these JKD seminars, learning their Kali uh, with, in their mixed, blended way. And then I got a chance to go out and uh, train with Angel, you know, and that was like, it was so awesome. He was in the 70s, you know, I'd go out and he picked me up in this big ass old car, you know, those big old ones. Yeah. And they had that roof in the ceiling of the roof. It was like some kind of tacky paper that would like drip down. You'd have yep. to glue it up or, or push pin it up. You know what I'm saying? I know it. I know it. Yep. I had a, I had a Monte Carlo. It did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was coming down. Yep. He's driving and he's getting like nervous, like, like I care. I was, you know, I was like 19 years, 18 years old or something, 19, I don't know, 17. I don't remember. And he's like, oh, I have to fix again. And it's like, <laughs> you don't have to fix anything. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, he, I slept in the guest room of his home and then middle of the night, he'd go out to use the bathroom and I trip, tripped over him on the floor. It was his bedroom and he was sleeping on the floor in the living room and his wife and young kids she was in her thirties or something and they have young kids were, were sleeping in the other bedroom. So like he gave up his bedroom for me, you know, so I couldn't let that keep happening, you know? Uh, so I moved into the living room, but uh, he trained, trained long and hard and well, same technique. This one technique, it took me forever to get, it doesn't seem hard, but it was, for me, it was hard. It's just a block, a uh, cross block on an angle six for the people of the Serata. And, uh, over an hour and a half, repeat again, 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 again. And it's just like, oh my God. And then we're walking around Stockton. I've made a whole bunch of visits out to train with him, but so I'm kind of blending them together. But, and I had on this red um, Screama t-shirt. I'm all proud walking around with the old guy. And we're in the store. I think it was food for less or something. I forget. And he's like, uh, I'm like, hey, Manong, how come these guys are all staring at me? They're proud of my shirt, right? He goes, yeah, proud. They're with the Crips. <laughs> you got the wrong color shirt. <laughs> I'm like, you couldn't tell me that before I left the house. <laughs> That's funny. So how um, how much have you uh, studied Kali and Eskrima? And, and um, I mean, all of the, the martial arts. How much would you say you've studied aggregate? <laughs> By much, what do you mean? Time or number? Uh, I, I give me both. <laughs> okay. So 41 years nonstop. Wow. Uh, 23 trips through Asia. Uh, I lived in Japan for a while. I lived in the Philippines for a while. Uh, three or four trips to Malaysia, two or three to Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong. Uh, I said Malaysia, Philippines, of course, up and down the islands, interviewing and training different masters, getting all the scoop before there was Google or the internet. You had to <laughs> right. the guys and interview them and videotape them 
uh, and go to the archives at the universities and libraries to get the information there. And I send them all these hundreds and hundreds of documents that you can't find here. Most of them you still can't get here, but all those guys, well, most of them have passed away. But now the new people, they're all on Facebook, you know, easy to reach out and everybody's throwing videos on YouTube, right? Different time, of course. Yes. But now everybody's artists homogenizing too, because they're borrowing from each other off of YouTube. Like we got that too, and we got that, and we got that. <laughs> um, but I, I train with over 60 guys in FMA um, to different levels, but seven teachers, I learned their systems all the way through. Um, so the first was Remy Presas, then Angel Cabalas, and then Herminio Binias uh, from Bacala, who was in the Philippine constabulary, uh, catching you know, criminals during World War II. Right. Um, uh, Ramiro Estelilia, his northern Cabarawan, big stick, long pole system, uh, different than the, you know, the smaller or medium-sized sticks. Uh, Benjamin Luna Lima, Lightning Scientific Arnis, and Antonio Illustrissimo and Calis Illustrissimo. So those are my seven that I actually dove in beginning to end and make up my current system called integratedescrema.com. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Integrated screamer. Yeah, very cool. So that's so, for that. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a lot of um of deep dive into just the Filipino martial arts. So uh, yep. so after Made in Chinatown and other films that you're working on, I'm sure there's an FMA movie coming out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, yeah, the next movie is called Dragon Letters. And we've got Lo Mong and Lu Feng and Chang Shan from the old days. That's awesome. And you know, and then that's the centipede and the toad, right? From the Venice. And then and then the Shaolin versus Lama guy, right? Yeah. And then we're we're gonna have um a whole bunch of newer guys in the cast. And it's all gonna be in in either Mandarin or Cantonese and filmed probably in Malaysia or Taiwan. Awesome. Uh in the spring. Cool. I wish to be for the spring. Yeah. So then it'll be subtitled for the Western market. Yeah. So it's a pretty big budget film, and we got a. We're looking at several directors: um, Wilson Ip from the Ip Man series, uh, and Teddy Chen, who did Kung Fu Jungle with Donnie Yen and a whole bunch of other films. And we've got a list of about five that we're we've sent information to, and they're saying they're interested. So as soon as this COVID is down and we can go over, we can sign one in, do casting for the rest of the roles, and then we've already done location scouting. So we just have to pick which place we're going to film depending on the COVID situation. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So let me get into that because you're a martial artist, instructor, author. Yeah. Now filmmaker, how did that progression to film come about? Yeah. So when I was 10, I knew I wanted to be five things in life. I already knew at 10, that was it. So I wanted wow. to be a father, number one. Okay. So I got two great kids and two stepdaughters. Uh, I want to be a husband. I'm on round two. You know, I'm doing the best. <laughs> you know? uh, I want to be a writer. So, you know, I wrote 15 books so far total. And I've edited as an editor for different companies, probably 70 uh, as a book editor. And I have my own publishing company now. So I probably published 40 in addition to that. So I've done a whole in addition to about a thousand magazine articles over since 1991, when the first one came out in black belt. Um, so what was that? That was uh, father, husband, writer, uh, martial art master and healer. So I just, 
try to actualize all that moving through. You know, I was born super premature, like six months. So I was in an incubator for three months. My mom could hold me. Uh, And before I could, you know, come out and I had all these lung issues, which I still struggle with. You know, I never have good wind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even high school, you know, uh, running, playing soccer, playing tennis, playing baseball, wrestling. And I'm always winded, doing sprints, doing track, always winded. It's like lungs just didn't develop fully enough. Um, and I think that's why I have this, I have chronic pain, uh, since I was a kid and musculoskeletal pain. And, um, so part of wanting to be the healer was getting rid of my own pain. So while I was going around Asia, studying with different martial art teachers in those different countries that I had seen in the magazines or books, I was like, I'm going to go, go train with them, you know, uh, work hard, washing dishes, mowing lawns, and then get my money to go. Um, that I went to see the different traditional healers, bone setters, psychic surgeons in the Philippines, faith healers, uh, Chinese medicine doctors, um, massage therapists, uh, herbalists, uh, uh, other energy masters, uh, you know, psychic, whatever, in all these different countries uh, for chronic migraine headaches and chronic musculoskeletal pain. And I realized no one, some people didn't work at all, just, you know, <laughs> whatever. Other people treatments worked, uh, for short duration. So then I spent like 15 years trying to figure why. So I, during that time, I, I got a master's in healthcare management, master's degree and a doctorate in oriental medicine and another doctorate in alternative medicine. And I was studying all these things, trying to figure out this situation. Why, you know, how come sometimes a chiropractor can help your back pain, but another time it can't. But a massage therapist can help, but the Advil didn't do anything. Or you have to get steroid injections because none of that helps. Like, what is it? You know, and all these people in their specialties, they're only seeing that vertical line, you know, in their own silo, right? The chiropractor is looking at the, the bone alignment uh, of the spinal, the spinal column, now that affects the nerves and all this. And then the qigong or acupuncture, no, the channels just block. It's a qi thing, nothing to do with the bones, right? Massage therapist is like, well, the bones are only subluxated out of place and the qi is only blocked because the muscle's so tight. It's like, okay, guys, you got to get together and compare notes because this is all just pieces of a puzzle, right? Yeah. So I figured out all of that, cured my chronic migraine, most of the chronic pain. Uh, so you can only get so far, you know, and um, and wrote some books about that as well, all on Amazon. So then, how did that oh filmmaking a filmmaker? Yes, dream? yeah. So when I used to watch Shaw Brothers as a kid uh, on Saturday and Sunday, Black Belt Theater and Kung Fu Theater, um, then I would, you know, we my parents we would go to the to Ocean City, New Jersey for the summers, and I hated it because none of my friends were there. Sitting around, I got to wait for mom to take me to the beach, or you know, dad. So in I'm 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 writing these short kung fu fight scenes, and I don't know anybody's names in Chinese, but I was doing Taekwondo, so I used the names of the forms. Okay, Tangun approaches, you know, Chunji, and Chunji says to Tosan, "You must," you know, and these are all the form names, right? And then like they circle each other, and and I could never come up with a story, just the fighting. You know, and then in, and then l- later in 1999, I was walking around New York City and I wanted to go to this um, Chinese association and they wouldn't let me in. You know, no honkies, you know, private association right, right. can't come in. So I walked across Canal Street into Little Italy and had lunch and I thought, 
you know, I didn't feel like it was racist. I just felt like, you know, you can have a club. Uh, but I wonder if like Chinese guy tried to eat pizza here, would they let him in? Or what if he tried to join the mob? And that was the genesis for the Made in Chinatown story, which was called originally Vinnie Chow, Chinese wise guy. Like Ace Ventura, pet detective, you know? Yeah. But so that's started the writing of the film idea. I never wanted to produce one. I just wanted to write one and sell it. So in 1999, uh, I had the story for Made in Chinatown, the, the premise, and it took me a long time to come up with a full story. It always went too dark, you know. He actually gets into the mob by wearing makeup in the end of Act One. So now he's in the mob, but now they're doing all this horrible shit to the Chinese, and he's got to do it, and it's his family and friends. And you can't, you know, and then getting too dark. It's like, no, it's got to be funny. It can't be serious, you know. Uh, and it took a while, and then it, it's been, it was done for about five years before. I made it and it was because I sent it to every agent, every, every studio I sent it to said, we can't look at it because it didn't come through an agent. You have to have an agent or, you know, you can sue us for if we come out with an idea like yours. I mean, it's understandable. So then I call the literary sure. agents like, sorry, uh, you know, unless you know one of our existing clients, you can't come in. And then when I knew somebody who had an agent, they'd say, well, I can't give you my agent's number because when work comes around, I want them to send it to me not send it to you. And even though I'd written all these books and worked in publishing, book publishing and magazine, that wasn't film, it was a whole different thing. So I couldn't break through. So then I sent the script to Rob Reiner to direct the, you know, hey, you know, why not? And I actually sent it to uh, Michael Cimino, who did uh, Year of the Dragon with the Mickey Park and Raymond Barry, who was in the movie. Um, Also from Made in Chinatown. So there's three actors in Made in Chinatown in, in Year of the Dragon. Uh, Raymond J. Barry plays Inspector O'Greedy. Shing Ka played a gangster, and in Made in Chinatown, he played Wisdom and Ming, the enforcer. And Jeff Lee, who played Knowledge and Lou the Herbalist, played bass with his band in the restaurant that gets shot up and the fish tank explodes. That's him on stage. Uh, yeah. Um, so when nobody would take it, I started talking to some people who had money about what the story was and this and that and long roundabout of false leads and dead ends for a few years led to me and, and a friend of mine raising raising the budget, doing it ourselves. So, yeah. That is a, a lesson in perseverance for everybody who's listening. Because <laughs> 20 years, you know, <laughs> you got to do it. But five years of having it done and pushing hard. I mean, prior to five years, let's say 10 years ago, I actually had script readers in Hollywood reading the screenplay and giving feedback. It was like 350 bucks a pop, but they would give you like 15 pages, you know, break down your story, tell you the holes, tell you the strengths, break down each character, who's redundant, who needs more help and give it a, a pass fail, you know, et cetera. And so I kept working on it and revising and working on it and revising uh, over that time. But then after it was rock, I thought was rock solid. And and actually the screenplay is actually a slapstick comedy, like an inspector Clouseau, but our first director on set, the first four days didn't shoot the scenes that way and refused to. So he was let go and Bobby and James stepped in to finish, but the film now didn't have that feel. Didn't have that. I mean, it was really goofy stuff in there. That was hilarious. All kind of dick jokes and, you know, uh, farts and you know, fun stuff. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah, funny faces and whatever, but that was all because we couldn't go back and reshoot those other scenes. It's too expensive. You have to lock the streets again, get the police involved. You got to rent the space again. You got to hire all the actors and crew for those days again. And there's just no budget for it. Uh, so it ended up not yeah. being that kind of a comedy, but it's still a comedy. Yeah. Oh, it's, and it's, it's funny now. Yeah. The, um, it, for a first film yeah. made in Chinatown, it's uh, garnered a <laughs> lot of awards already. Yeah. It's got to feel pretty good and uh, uh, be a nice bit of vindication for all of the work that you've put in thus far. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, um, boy, it's been a struggle uh, with, it was a struggle on set. Uh, probably one of the hardest experiences of my life. I wouldn't repeat that particular experience. Uh, it was hard for the first year after a lot of issues with this, with SAG, a lot of issues with some stunt guys and actors making trouble. Um, you know, we got misled by some uh, potential distributors and post-production places and we got a lot of money and stuff. And it took, it took a long time to, to find my feet with it, you know, mm-hmm. but then we, we got the feet finally and we're getting, the good results and that feels terrific. Now the next piece is it, it very much needs to get picked up for broad distribution, not just placed on video on demand. We'll never make the money back for the investors. And they've been waiting a long time. And as the executive producer, it's, it's my fiduciary duty to do my best for them. So like I'm never gave up on the film or getting it done. I'm not, and I never gave up on post-production. I'm not giving up on getting the best distribution we can. I just don't, everybody's like, well, just throw it up on Netflix. Yeah. They pay 22 cents to me every time someone watches it. Like, you know how long it takes to earn $2 million that way? Yeah. You need, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need a, a shitload of people to watch that movie. <laughs> uh, so we have now uh, one of the big three agencies out selling the film for us. So hopefully in the next weeks, you know, we'll have a deal and it'll be permanently somewhere. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, we did just have that special screening with Demetrius Angelo and the urban action oh, showcase indeed. cinema. That was terrific. A uh, lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, uh, privileged to be a part of that, the, the whole experience. Um, a lot of great guests there yeah. from the cast, which I want to touch on because for a guy making his first feature film, you pulled together an awesome <laughs> cast, right? I mean, well, you got Tony Darrow, Vinnie Pastore, Lomong, uh, how did you get these guys on board for yeah. what is admittedly a kind of a quirky film? Okay. <laughs> so the first guy I wanted always was Lomong. Yeah. He was my hero growing up. Kid with the golden arms, you know. Absolutely. Um, it was all North Shaolin versus South Shaolin. I mean, 100 movies, right? And he was always the guy I was like, I'm going to be like him, you know. I got to get some muscles like that. <laughs> and I know that that Bobby Samuels had worked with him or knew him in the past. So Bobby hooked me up with uh, Jeannie Louie, who was his American agent for over here. So anything he does outside of China, Europe or US, she coordinates. So I brought her and her daughter and their other partner, um, uh, Wing Young, on as part of our production group along to help. And, and they helped me get uh, Lo Mang. And we sent him the script and first sent him just the, the uh, treatment, right, which is the, the story without dialogue. Right. So it's like only like 15 pages, not 110 or whatever, hundred, you know, and he said it was funny and he'd like to do it. So then we sent him the script and it was so great because he would message back and ask how to do the, how to do, how do you, cause I put 
you know, you can't get made in Chinatown. Ha, 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 ha. And I always had ha, 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 ha everywhere. And I went like a mad scientist, you know, because uh, it was supposed to be over the top, right? Sure. And he asked me, how do you want me to laugh? So I had to record. Well, first I had to record all of his lines in English for him and then send it to him. And then I had to record the laugh and I sent it to him. Okay, so we pick him up at the airport, me and Jeannie, and we get him to his hotel room. And it's like 2 a.m. Uh, after we got food and stuff. And he's showing me his wardrobe because uh, all these designers had given him free clothes for advertising, you know. He's showing me his wardrobe and he says, oh, I worked on my laugh. What, what do you think? And he goes, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, it's okay, Sifu, thank you. And he's like, well, how about this one? Oh, ha, 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 ha. And he had like eight laughs. He brought out eight different laughs and then we picked one. And he just kept practicing it. So we had it nailed so it didn't look for. So even on that joke where he chokes, it's not like a <laughs> like a fake joke. It's like he really choked, right? I mean, he worked, he worked harder than any of the other actors. He was on point. He was bristling. I wish we had more close-ups uh, and stuff with him. Really awesome. Yeah. The, the Italians are a different story. And what happened was... Um, Takwa Eng, who's a Fujiao Kung Fu Grandmaster in Chinatown, New York, has a lot of actors who are students of his, you know, stage and plays and movies. Russell Wong is the big one from back in the day. Um, and Shin Ka is a student of his, and he was a producer and played two roles on the show. We're very good friends. He's working on my next one also. And Shin uh, was doing a movie and posted on Facebook that they he had just signed on... Um, Tony Sirico was just Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos. And he also had on Paulie Walnuts to Paulie from Rocky, Burt Young. Burt Young, yeah. He played Paulie in Rocky, Rocky's trainer, right? And I, so I messaged Shing and I said, Shing, I'd really love to have these guys in Made in Chinatown. So he shows, he talks to Paulie, to Paulie, to Tony Sirico and says, I'm working on another picture made in Chinatown. He says, uh, send me the script through the agent. I said, okay. And then he talked to Bert and Bert said, uh, let me, you have the script here. Let me see it. And he looks at it. And he says, I love to do the picture. So Shing's taking a picture of him and Bert, like thumbs up, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God. So Shing hooks me up with our, our um, casting director, Caroline Sinclair in New York. And Caroline was the casting for the film he was on. So she already had all the agents numbers. So I reach out to Caroline. I send the script and the premise. I mean, the treatment and the script. And so she sends it out to um, Tony Sirico, uh, his agent, gives it to Tony. And then Tony says, I mean, it's like, why would they do my stupid movie, right? Tony Sirico says, I'll only do the movie. I love the movie, but I'll only do it if you bring in Vincent Pastor. Wow. <laughs> so if you'll have the two of us, I'll do it. Wow. Twist my arm, man. <laughs> right? So now I'm going to have Lo Mang, Tony Sirico, Burt Young, and Vincent Pastor. Then over the course of, of um, so then I met with Vinnie Pastor. We met in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He was doing some show and uh, I met him there for dinner. We were talking about the script and he's like, you know, you should have this guy do this role and this guy do this role. And I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> you know, let me whip out their phone number. He's like, I got a radio. And on speakerphone, he's calling everybody. Wow. He's like, yeah, no, no, you got to do this. How about this one? Like, yeah, send me the thing. Send me the thing. Send me the thing. And he helped bring in so many other people. Cool. Uh, and then I sent him the scripts and then we talked to their agents and they're like, they're all in. 
And then we get a call later when we're uh, in pre-production just about the film and Burt Young and Tony Sirico can't do the film. There's some stuff going on with their schedules and um, they have to, they can't do it. So I bumped Vinny up to Tony's, to um, Burt Young's role, right? So Burt Young was Rocky, right? So he was the boxing gym manager, right? Right, right. Supposed to be in the movie. So Vinny Pastore gets bumped up and then we need a new fountain soda, Eddie. So he tells me, you know, talk to Tony Ray Rossi. He did Johnny Brasco and analyze this and stuff. So I get a call from Tony Ray out of the blue. Mark, Tony Ray. How you doing? Vinny told me to give you a call. Like, well, now we got another soprano in, you know? (laughs) And then I'm thinking like, who are we going to get to do Tony Sirico's role as like the Godfather guy, you know? And I can't figure out who, who, who's going to do that. And Caroline's giving me all these names. Sinclair's giving me all the names of, she was just casting the Gotti movie at that time with John Travolta. She was the casting age. So she's giving me all the names of all the actors who I could send the thing to. And I call Vinny up and I said, Vinny, you know, we can't do this. And who do you think? He goes, give Tony Darrow a call. I'm like, yeah. He goes, hold, here's his number. I said, why don't you text me his number? So I give him a call. (laughs) And, you know, it's the only time I've been intimidated in my life. (laughs) And he said, I call up. He's like, when you call him, his ring back tone is um, come fly with me by Sinatra. So already, you know, you're in deep. You know, (laughs) he got Sinatra on. (laughs) Right. And he says, hello. I'm like, hi, uh, may I speak with Tony Darrow, please? Yeah, this is Tony. I'm like, uh, <laughs> sir, um, I'm producing this movie, blah, 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 blah. And he says, uh-huh, who else is in the movie? So I tell him, he goes, well, listen to me and don't fuck me around. Oh, wow. It's going to play out. My name's going up there like their name. You don't go stick me at the bottom. If it's alphabetical, it's alphabetical. If it's not, I need to know where I am. Second, we all getting paid the same. You don't pay them more than me. They can't have that over me. Let me tell you this too. We're going to shoot it this way. You're going to let me look at the line. <laughs> it was so hardcore, man. So I sent him the thing and he called me back laughing. He's like, you son of a bitch. That's a funny fucking script. <laughs> nice. Going on and on. You know, he's hilarious. You don't think he's hilarious, but he did stand up for like 30 yeah. years before he did acting. Yeah. And he still does it. He's, he's hilarious. And, uh, and then I had to change his role because first he was there when Sirico was supposed to be there. And then when he couldn't do the film, I bumped him up to Tony's role. So he had to learn now the main guy's role, but it turned out amazing because he and Vinny together as the two top guys was just fabulous for the film. And all the other guys, mostly all the other Italian guys in the film were all guys who had been in, uh, Donnie Brasco, analyze it, analyze that, um, Mickey blue eyes, you know, it's that whole same cast cast of characters that you see a lot. And they were all in there in those supporting roles. And I was just like, geez, we had two stand up comedians, um, Goomba Johnny Cialiano, who, you know, play Vito or Luigi. I forget. I think Luigi, I don't think we ever say their names in the movie. We might. Right, right. And then, um, Jeff fat rat bastard Parami, who was the deli man. And, right. We wrote, we sat down together at lunch and wrote like seven minutes of him just ripping jokes one after another to Vinny. And, and, and we had all these guys in line. You know, he talks about the guy with the glasses 
He's like, yep. your glasses are thicker than my provolone. Get out of here. What actually was like four lines. He's like, your glasses <laughs> are thicker than a fish tank. I can see the fish go by. Your glasses so thick you could start a fire with the moon. Your glasses da 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 and da 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 and then he says the provolone joke, and it's like okay, so it was taking too long to get through his shtick. Like the scene was just kind of the momentum for Vinny, so he had to say your your glasses are thicker than my provolone. Get out of here! And Vinny says I'll take a pound of provolone. So that's now the payoff to the first joke, right? But we had line after line after line after line. <laughs> Uh, it was hilarious. It just, it would just take away from that whole scene. You know, he had to keep it a little bit tighter, but he passed away a few months ago and that's been very sad, but I'm working on a documentary for him, we were working on a standup uh, special for him and we've got a lot of footage for it. Uh, and it's called OBCT, four letters, OBCT, obesity. Uh-huh. And it's, nice. it's the lighter side of obesity. <laughs> but now that he's passed away and he was over 300 something pounds, we have to make it more of a humble uh, thing with some, you know, interviews with different people he's worked with. Like Tony's worked with him for 25 years. They did so many fundraisers together for different cancer and leukemia and different things. And um, yeah, I'd be missed. But yeah, I was just beside myself. Oh, and then out of the blue, I get a call from uh, Bob McGowan, who's Vinny's agent, Tony's agent, and Raymond Barry's not agent, manager, manager. And he says, um, he tells Caroline our casting that Raymond J. Barry would like to, re- would like a role in the movie. He heard it's good. Nice. <laughs> nice. How did the guy from my favorite movie year, one of my favorite movies, Year of the Dragon, even get my friggin' script? <laughs> so I was like, there's really no role for him because we had already cast uh, Inspector O'Greedy, right? Um and the only role that was left was the, uh, there was a scene that we didn't shoot of the um, mayor of New York City giving Vinny Chow the key to the city. Mm. All the parents are there and they're so proud of their son and all that family stuff, it got lost in the first couple of days of shooting. It wasn't shot right, so we couldn't use it. So that whole family backstory and dynamic between the Chows and the Wongs, new Chinese versus fresh off the boat, uh, and then the mayor and all that, and we ran out of budget and more days for shooting. So I had to cut that scene. So I really didn't have anything to give him. And plus you can't give him one, one scene, you know? So I fired the other O'Greedy. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I had to break up with him. And, uh, and then I get a call, I send the script over and then I get a call like two days later. Uh, and it just said Los Angeles, California. So I was like, went into the other room. I'm like, hello, Mark, this is Raymond Barry. I'm in your movie. I'm like, you are. And he's just the coolest dude ever, man. You know, he's like, oh, I run track at University of Pennsylvania in the Penn Relays and I box for 17 years and I do this and I do that and theater and playwriting and da 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 And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, Raymond Barry just called me. You know, Walk Hard, Born on the Fourth of July, you know, Ray Donovan, just in billion shows and movies. And he was just the coolest guy on set. You know, that's awesome. and and just cool and relaxed. And then when he talks to him, the eyes are just like blazing at you. You're like, <laughs> oh my god! I'm surprised he hasn't gotten more recognition from the film yet. But when it gets wider distribution, he will. I mean, his yeah. he really brought a lot to that role. I wrote it super funny, and um, he made it like this simmering mm-hmm. comedy, right? Yeah. Like he did all my lines straight. I was like, we're holding shops hostage to 
you know, bulk orders without discounts. You know, <laughs> I can't even get it at Costco and cheap, you know, and he did it with the sintering thing. And then we had a line that was cut that said, uh, when a film shoots to Bob Martin and, and Bobby Samuels in the car and they're eavesdropping the special agents. And he says like, you know, you guys better settle your business because, um, you know, I'm, I'm coming up for reelection. And then he says, and I've got two kids, one's 14 and the other's in college. Now he's like 80, but that's true. He's got a 14 year old and a kid in college. <laughs> and, and he was, and then it, it didn't play well because nobody knew that he really had those kids. So we went to power. That's what I want is power, you know? Uh, and, but that was a funny line. He actually wrote that one to add in. He's like, this is the only thing I want to add is this line. Cause it's true. But there was no way this, we had nowhere in the movie to show that O'Greedy had those young, young children or whatever for his age, you know, uh, <laughs> but he was awesome. He was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and your lead too, Jay Kwan. I know yeah. he's a West Coast guy. Uh, I've, uh, I've talked with him and uh, a bunch of his uh, stunt yep. actor, filmmaker friends out there. How'd you hook up with him? I think he was the fifth Vinnie Chow that we cast. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. We went through... Geez, the first guy was, okay, so the first production company I had a partnership with or was developing a partnership with for the movie was a group out of Malaysia. And they have a guy there named Michael Chua, who was an, a young up-and-coming Chinese Kung Fu star. And he's got like, I don't know, he had like three movies at the time, Fist of Dragon and um, some others are really worth seeing. I mean, he's great at the action, is great. And, um, and there were some other people in that movie uh, there was a girl and an old guy who played his dad in the movie who I wanted to play Mei Wong and Mr. Chow, his dad, who was supposed to be a horny old guy, but he was directed that way in this version, you know, but he was supposed to be always, uh, we never got a shot of the bottle of what he's always smoking. He's supposed to do one line doing lines and another one he's uh, smoking a vape and another one, he's stirring it into a drink, like all different ways to consume this antler essence boner tonic, you know. Right. And, it, and we have this big poster made of two deer humping, doggy style. Of course. And, and it was like PG-13. We, we really don't want to show all that. But I'm like, damn. So that old guy would have been great for it. But then that company, when it came down to the end, uh, they, they weren't putting up their part of the money for the production. They wouldn't even fly their actors over and they managed those actors. And I was like, what's the point then? You know, if you're not, why am I just casting with you guys? So that was the first one. Uh, and then we moved to uh, a guy in Canada because the co-producer I was going to and director I was working with first, completely different team of people than we ended up with, is Canadian. Uh, and we were going to shoot there and get tax credits and do all kinds of stuff. So we had to have half of the cast had to be Canadian or two thirds, you know, we could bring a couple people up and we're going to shoot in Toronto or somewhere uh, to look like China town. Um, but that relationship didn't work out again, scam, scam, scam. Uh, and that actor became a little difficult to, to talk to. Everything was, well, I'm not going to talk about that. Talk to my agent. Well, let me send you these new lines. We'll send them to my agent. Well, can we, can we talk over zoom here about this thing? Well, I don't know if I should be talking to you. And it's like, okay, you're, you're out totally. And he had done nothing. He had done just a few things, but he had a great demo reel, you know? And then we had another guy who's well, pretty well known in the business that, that just disappeared for a while and didn't contact. And then was like, we're like three weeks before shoot. Like, where is he? Uh, so I had to email him say, sorry, dude, I got to replace you. 
you know, I can't be sitting here for a month of no contact and I've been emailing and emailing. We got to do wardrobe and, you know, there's all kinds of, we got to get your flight and we got to, you know, all kinds of stuff we got to do. Um, so he was out, although he came back and said, oh, no, I've been talking to this guy and this guy on your team. It's like, well, <laughs> not talking to the producers. So too late. And then we were like, I don't know, a week from shooting and panicking and um, looking at all different people. And Bobby said, um, check out this guy, Jay Kwan out in LA. Here's his demo reel. And it looked really good. You know, the action reels look great. Uh, and he just didn't have a lot of acting itself. You know, um, and then I talked to Jay on the phone and he was real kind of shy, like he is generally. Um, and it seemed like he was eager to do it, you know, and interested to do it. And he liked the story. And I think he did a demo for us, like Red or something. But he came out and he just did a bang up job and he brought his A game. He was just terrific. You know, he started studying the films that, you know, I said, here's some films you got to look at. The Godfather, you know, Donnie Brasco. Goodfellas, and and bring up a stereotypical Italian accent as best you can. It doesn't matter if there's accents or you're flawing it because it's a comedy and you're pretending, right? It's not real. You're not method acting. You're pretending, right? So he did a real good job. I was surprised. He, he memorized all his lines, never forgot his lines, came prepared, right? And did really great in that that final fight scene. I mean, that oh, yeah. gun team was fighting on the concrete floor with no padding. I mean, flying on their backs. And it was really, they, that whole team, man, they did a, they did a great job there. Yeah. Well, with all of those elements, uh, you have the, the comedy, the, the mafia stuff, the Kung Fu stuff. If there's one thing that you want the audience to take away uh, from the film when they, when they watch it, what, what would that be for you? I guess the, the theme or the moral of the story or the point of the story is really, it's a, it's a story about self-identity, you know? So Vinny believes that, look, he grew up in America. His parents were fresh off the boat, right? But he grew up in America. So there's even one point his mom says, what happened to your Chinese accent? He said, mom, I was born in New York. I never had a Chinese accent. You know, and Chinese people would never say what happened to your Chinese accent. They would say, why do you speak like an American, you know? But it's supposed to be a funny play on the words, but... So he grew up in America and like, hey, I could play basketball. I could join the Cub Scouts. You know, I can volunteer at the Salvation Army. Why can't I join the mob? It's just another group. You know, I like the Italian girl. Well, there's black girls, Italian girls, Chinese girls, Lithuanian girls. I mean, there's all kinds of girls in New York. So, oh, she's a little picky. She only dates like wise guys. Yeah, just go join their group. That's all. I'll get her attention. You know, he had to be a young character, early 20s, or it's not believable if he's 30 or 40, you know, still, you know. Um, and I just thought, you know, that's a really uh, great concept. And it's about identity. And today, among, among early teens and younger people, they're really having this identity crisis. Um, and there's all of this. Um, I see it with my kids. And uh, my one son's in college. He's in his last year. But my daughters are all in high school. And they've been struggling with this identity thing and all their friends are struggling. You know, it's now it's, it's not just equal rights for LGBT, but there's, you know, am I binary? Do I have to be a man and a woman or a woman or a man? Can I call me they or them instead of he and she? And it, they're having a hard time finding their place and finding who they are um, in that realm. And then, you know, I always grew up feeling like I was more Asian than, um, than white. 
you know, I never thought I was actually Chinese, but, you know, a lot of Asians identify as, as African-Americans here as blacks in the U S you know, they hang with those groups. They embrace their music. They like, they love the hip hop. Right. So in the United States, there's all this blending of cultures. And, but the thing is, what's the identity? Who are you at heart? You know? And, um, like herbalist Lou said to Vinny, you're good to your parents. You're a good son, you know? So even if you lost your way a little bit here, you're still good at your center. And he goes back to the girl he's loved all along. Who's been there all along. He's been ignoring and, um, you know, finds himself, uh, that way. So I think it's the, the point of the takeaway is that, you know, you can be anything you want, except another, I accept another culture, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. embrace some Italian, but you can't be Italian. Right. You can, you can, I can embrace Kung Fu movies and Kung Fu and, or Chinese medicine or whatever. I'm still not Chinese, but part of what it makes America so awesome is we can do all these things. You don't have to be identified or pinned down to one. Right. It's a positive message and it, it, it definitely did come through. Uh, I liked how Jay, uh, went with that role and, uh, developed it throughout the film. And, uh, one of the things that I did like about uh, the way that the different races were presented in the film was that they weren't presented as races. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, th this was New York. This was the melting pot of New York. Yeah. This was this guy. This was this guy. Uh, Vinny Chow wanted to be a wise guy. He didn't want to be an Italian wise guy necessarily. Just a wise guy. Yeah. Just a wise guy, you know. And uh, I appreciated the interracial thing between the uh, the Asian lead and the uh, the, the mob mall. Um, because that's not something that you see in cinema, you know, that's not, mm -hmm. that's not how it's, uh, presented and the, the Asians aren't the leading men if it's not, you know, uh, uh, crazy rich Asians or something like that. Right. So, but, um, I thought that was well done and Thank I thought you. they handled it really well. We, we got some good compliments after the, uh, we had a big theatrical showing in Newark, New Jersey at a Newark festival. And I think half the theater was from Chinatown, New York, and half of it was from, you know, Atlantic City Italians, you know, and Northern <laughs> yeah. Jersey Italian and Brooklyn Italians. And and um, a lot of the Italian, I'm sorry, the Chinese people in the audience came up to me and Bobby uh, others after and said, thank you for not portraying us as st stereotypical Chinese. What I was doing was trying to turn all the stereotypes sideways, right? So, and and not have them straight. But when I was poking fun, it was poking fun at the stereotype, not at the ethnicity, you know? So, um, you know, uh, Joey Risotto, his Italian, Vinny's Italian best friend, Joey Risotto, he, in the movie, was a, there was a lot of scenes that we just couldn't fit in, but he was trying to, only, he always liked saying Mexican food. Can I, you know, at the hot dog stand, can I get enchiladas and tacos? And then Vinny brings him lunch and it's supposed to be a burrito but we couldn't find one we so we brought a cheesesteak and it's too long it doesn't look like a burrito anymore so we had to cut that line and then he goes for this mexican girl he sees in the diner but that made the scene too long so we had to cut that out so there was another theme of that that the italian kid wants to be with the mexican the chinese wants to be italian but tony darrow when they're all up in that mob office he orders out chinese right, <laughs> right, right, right. go get me some of the mushu pork you know, and use Spezia's debit card because Spezia is a guy from The Godfather. It's a character from The Godfather. He says he owes me money, which he owed The Godfather money. So, Tony, the Italians are ordering the Chinese food, you know, and 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 stuff. So, everything was like a turn, a turn, a turn. Uh, and, 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 and the gay black guy. Um, Hilarious, by the way. Hilarious. Played 
by uh, Manny Brown, awesomely played by Manny Brown, uh, totally hilarious, and is like the biggest ass kicker in the film. You <laughs> yeah. know? So we turn that gay stereotype. He's not some like wimpy little. He's just like, I got this. Bam. And he's doing flips over people. I mean, he should with styles for his his action. Unbelievable. And he played that role so well. And, uh, you know, uh, Shing was friends with Manny and Shing. We did a, a little casting up in New York, Chinatown, uh, informally before we got the casting agent involved. And we had a bunch of the people there. Uh, we had a, a different person for Mei Wong. Um, and Manny was there for, for that role of Lawrence and Shing was there. And then the person we had for Mei Wong um, ended up not wanting to do it or, or her team didn't want her to do it. I don't know. But at that same initial meeting, there were two other people there, her, her good friends. One was Celia Al, who plays in the Wu Assassins on Netflix as one of the She's characters. Awesome. And she did a cameo as, as Susie, the friend. She was awesome. She's so super cool. Yeah, she's been on the show. She's great. Yeah. I love her. And Shuya Chang, uh, who was in Snakehead and um, uh, Revenge of the Green Dragons and uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2, Sword of Destiny. She was there for our meeting too, just hanging out. So I met them there and ended up, those two ended up taking, Shuya <laughs> became Mei Wong and she nailed yep. it. She did it Absolutely. great. She actually sent a, we had her do a reading and do a self videotaping of the scene in the gallery, which is like, Vincent, don't try and be Chinese. You know, I love you the way you are. And don't, you know, just be who you are and all this stuff. And she like, she had a painting up on the wall and she was standing next to it and a friend with the camera. She was like crying and the thing. And so I was like, Oh my God, she's so awesome. So we totally lucked out getting her. <laughs> it's a, it's a great cast. And, uh, uh, all of them brought their A game, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. So, what comes next for you then? Well, I got a whole bunch of projects on the on the on the on the anvil right now that I'm hammering away at. One is Dragon Letters, is the furthest along. You know, we're raising money, and we've already got uh, five or six actors in, and two two or three directors who have said yes. And we just have to meet and see which one is really going to follow the script. It's set in 1904, before the Cultural Revolution, when Sun Yat Sen was. Um, uh, exiled to Japan and Hong Kong, but he had his guys in in uh, Guangzhou, China, as revolutionaries. The Farmers Union, the Triads. So there's a whole undercurrent group there against the government, trying to you know push through for the people working for Sun Yat-sen. And you have this life of this guy who's a martial art master, family man, a healer, well respected in his town, loses everything goes on revenge, becomes dark and seedy and just like the evil people that he hates and then meets a homeless kid who turns him around, helps turn his life around. And then he, he comes up above at the end and puts country above himself and everything else. I and mean, it's really an epic story. We've been working on it for uh, you know, maybe two years hard on the script, you know, um, back and forth with the readers in China. Is this historically correct with the, you know, the governor talked to the head guard this way and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Lo Mang is super on board right away. We talk all the time. And Lu Feng, who's the centipede in the Venoms, you know, he loves his role. He plays Governor Wu. He's ready to go. And Chang Shan also, he plays um, uh, one of the inspectors who has a drug habit and a limp and from an old injury. And, you, you know, and, and there's all this kind of uh, espionage. Uh, uh, it's like a murder, a mystery, and a uh, 
you know, a phoenix burning and rising again, cool. putting nationalism first, at, you know, at the end. And it's heartwarming. You've got to have heart. But this one's a ton of action. You know, it's old school period piece kung fu movie, you know. That's cool. Um, so that's, I'm super excited about that. And then I got that documentary on on Jeff Parami with his stand-up that I want to do, OBCT. I want to finish that for him. And um, I'm working on a, on a, a big script. We just had a Zoom call this morning. Uh, the project's ready to go. Um, we have a director attached, Albert Magnoli from Purple Rain, Tango and Cash. Cool. Uh, yep. So he's, he's full on and in. We got a great uh, production team and um, I'm going out and helping raising money for that one. We have location for the shoot. It's a coming of age story uh, with a focus on kids. And again, their rights to self-identity, obesity, friendship, love, lust over a summer camp period uh, at a campground, you know, where you find a mentor to help you through. And it's like stand by me. It's one of these really good, feel good family coming of age stories. Um, so working on that and, um, another one with Shane Ka called Chinatown Horror Story, which I love, which is like time travel through these time portals that you can go back and forth in time between LA, uh, San Francisco, Chinatown, New York, Chinatown, Jimmy Hoffa, uh, murder mystery. This, this girl who's like a, like a Nancy Drew detective trying to figure out what happened at the theater with the murder of this. And then there's these shaman people and ghosts like big trouble in little China and oh, for cool. fun. Yeah. So we're working on that one and uh, a TV show. We're working on a pilot called Broken Hip. Uh, Tony Darrow is going to be in it. We got some other people we've approached uh, about people in an old age home run by a godfather. Uh, <laughs> are trying to, you know, they serve the extra rice pudding to the elderly to get a little something on the side. You know, they're oh, at, they're making money. It's hilarious. You know, uh, really funny and inappropriate. Uh, <laughs> hoping to launch that on cable uh, to get that one done. Um, yeah, just keep just keep pushing, keep working. Is you don't know which one's going to hit first and second, and where the luck lands. But right now, because all the studios and networks have been shut down for coronavirus, there's a vacuum for content, right? So all the independent filmmakers need to try and develop something that the market wants, or or you would think. If you watch uh, Hulu and their shows, their their weekly shows, what is the theme that they're doing, and how is it different from Amazon shows? Like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a super huge budget show. Like I can never compete. I, I could never produce something like that with a budget that I would have. You know, so I probably couldn't do an Amazon TV thing, but maybe a Hulu, maybe Netflix, but maybe HBO would be different. Or you know, stars. You have to think what's the thing and. Some of my, uh, you know, friends who are doing films and shorts and things are doing it for themselves, but they got to start looking at the business end. Like if I want to get this out and if I want to get into a series or if I want to get a movie release, we got to have uh, a broader theme, hire actors, you know, who are at least C, B level known in television or stand up or movies. And that, that's what I tried to do with in China. I just hit, ended up happenstance hitting out of the ballpark with the cast. Yeah, uh, really. I was definitely trying to get people that would have a cult following, you know, like Lo Mong and uh, whatever. So um, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to fill that void with content that is sellable 
to the market and not just being self-indulgent, like, well, this is just what I want to do. And I have an idea for this fight scene, so I'll film that, or I have a funny scene for this movie, but you don't have a whole story. Like, it takes work, man. Writing books sure. takes work. Doing a podcast take work. There's a lot of planning you do and editing after. You know, it's not just like you sit, you sit and hit record, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I'm trying to keep my head, head in the game and head busy and keep on the momentum of Made in Chinatown with more projects, uh, with the people I've met and networking with people that, you know, rework with people again, meet new people. And all of a sudden this lead leads to that one and that one. And all of a sudden I found out this, this group in LA ones are looking for TV series. So now I've had, a, we've had a draft of one sitting here, a partner of mine, uh, Kenny, and we're going to see about getting that over to them on Friday. You know, you have to do the whole pitch, you know, the character breakdowns, the pitch, the summary, the log line one, log line two, then the script, where's the art going. And they need to see the whole, like, you're not just throwing a couple scenes at them, but you really got something together. Yeah. Well, you're putting in the work and the results are showing for you. So oh, thanks. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And congratulations. Um, give me the plugs. Give me all the, give me all the websites for, for Mark Wiley, uh, for made in Chinatown for dragon letters. Okay. Lay them all on me. Uh, so we got made in Chinatown movie.com. And then we've got integrated escrima.com. Uh, go Chokun and okay. I'll spell it. N G O C H O K U N.com. That's the Kung Fu stuff. And then we've got tambulimedia.com, my publishing company, which has a made in Chinatown thing on there. T-A-M-B-U-L-I media, tambulimedia.com. Those are the, the main four. Um, Dragon Letters and all the other films is on my profile on IMDb. You can see all the stuff I'm working on there. Uh, it's all listed out and broken down and who we have as, attached to those projects so far. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, a portrait of hard work paying off, um, Dr. Mark Wiley. Thank you so much for taking some time out to talk. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, it was best of luck with everything. It was great uh, catching up with you again. Um, it's been a, it's been a privilege to uh, have a front row seat to uh, to some of the stuff going on with Made in Chinatown. Uh, I wish it all the luck in the world. It's it's a lot of fun. So anybody who hasn't seen it yet, uh, you can you can get it uh, on the Urban Action Showcase Cinema channel. So you can check it out there. Uh, and uh, otherwise, hopefully, it gets some some broad distribution very yep. soon. When it gets that, it'll be all over social media. <laughs> yeah, very cool, very cool. And best of luck with your future projects. I, I Thank hope you. they all pan out. And if you ever need a, a podcaster for a film, you know you know where to go, right? Where, where's that? <laughs> Can you recommend? <laughs> I, no, I, I'll have to email you. <laughs> You're actually very good at this, uh, Jeff. So oh, thank I think you. you could do more broadcasting than this if you wanted to. You've got a thank you so much. and a way of speaking and good questions and follow up. So I appreciate it. And uh, again, best of luck to you uh, with everything. And I hope uh, I hope to see much more of your work in the near future. Thank you. Appreciate it. Huge thanks to Mark Wiley for spending some time chatting with me. His film Made in Chinatown is available now by visiting the Urban Action Showcase website. That link will be in the show notes. It's a really fun film with a fantastic cast. So go check it out and spread the word. All the links to Mark's various endeavors will be in the show notes, so I wish him the very best of luck with the film and the upcoming Dragon Letters as well, so keep an eye out for that. Mark's keeping super busy in spite of COVID, and I really look forward to seeing more of his work very soon. If you check out the film and want to leave a comment at madeinchinatownmovie.com, do so and let him know that you heard him right here on the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. And follow me on all my socials as well, and be sure to check out the Kung Fu Drive-In Theater for new video content at uasctv.com. And until next time, boys and clan. 
Peace. Poison plan rocks the world. Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless idea of roaming over the lands. Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older and wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to great jars. Fight for the cast and pass here. The pass, not the end back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but boards don't hit back. Yeah, the death jewels here. David D is coming back. The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster. Could chat a little drink because he is the drunken master. Once upon a time in China, Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie show his spine Golden Swallow has arrived. Shang Chi movies will the hero will survive. We've got the brave archer make his way to the top of the mountain, gonna fight. May as well pick the spot. Yeah, the sky goes black, cut the vampires back. We've got Lam Ching to kill them all, so stand back. He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword, and our sword will travel until his body's on floors. Yeah, Wing Chun Shaol in the mantis style. Yeah, the Feed the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war, we smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun assassin slashing blood or just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got Irma just in yellow but she is in the dragon but in the tea rooms That's where it'll happen, she got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter against the wall Don't fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless Unleashed. The fist of legend that the car Jet Lee I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Walk into the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war To smash the place so with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting